Just look at this studio filled with fabulous prizes. Ooh. All waiting to be won on Score North's... Pick your prize! Behind door number one is a $10,000 gift card to Chanhassen Dinner Theaters for shows, concerts, food, and beverage. Ooh. Door number two has $10,000 in home improvements for your kitchen, bathroom, windows, and more from Minnesota Rusco and Companies. Ah. And behind door number three, LASIK eye procedure from Dr. Lovanoff at Ovo LASIK and Lens. And a fantastic vacation. No surprise zoinks. What you want, you pick. 14 prizes in all, each valued at $10,000. Sign up for Score North's Pick Your Prize. You can register daily through the Score North app or go to scorenorth.com keyword prize. Sweepstakes begins March 18th. Special thanks to our prize partners. Guys of Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and ScoreNorth.com. And welcome in. It is a Tuesday, which means it is our first scoop of the week. Zolgad, executive producer Declan Goff, and the star of the scoops, of course, our guy Darren Doogie Wolfson. That's you, Darren. Turn around, look at the camera from Channel 5 Eyewitness News Fame and Scoop Podcast Fame. And uh, I am going to uh, turn the floor. Over to you, sir, because it is draft week, th- Thursday night, when, of course, we will be at Surly Brewing during doing our show, and hope plenty of you join us there, uh, is the first round, Friday, second, and third round, and the rest of the draft on Saturday. So as far as the Scoop Notebook goes, Dukes, clear it out and tell us what you are hearing regarding the Vikings, Crazy Adolfo Mensa's first draft as the GM, and what we might expect. Well, let's start with Thursday night, Judd. I am told by multiple people in the know that the Vikings have not spoken with teams directly above them. Now, could that happen when the Vikings are on the clock? I suppose. But as of now, zero dialogue, for example, with Seattle, who is at pick nine. I am led to believe they have spoken with both the Jets and the Giants. Now I get it, the Jets have correct me if I'm wrong, pick 10. The Vikings haven't inquired about moving up a couple spots, but they have at least planted a seed with both those New York franchises about the possibility of moving up. That being said, Judd, I will be shocked if the Vikings move up. Now, we know that Tavon Walker, the Georgia defensive lineman, was in for a top 30 visit, but signs point to him going number one overall. But That's the intrigue. Like, Judd, we can go back how many years where we could pinpoint we know exactly who's going number one. Do we know for sure? Do we know definitively that Walker is going number one to Jacksonville? We don't, right? No, absolutely not. No. So what if he falls a little bit? Is there a scenario where he falls a little bit, where Quasey wants to jump up? But if I had to wager, the more likely scenario, if there is a trade, is Quasey going down, not up. I do think the Derek Stingley Jr. steam that's been out there for many weeks, if he happens to fall to 12, I do believe there is legitimacy there, that that is a pretty clear-cut pick, that the Vikings have the book on Stingley Jr. His former defensive coordinator in Baton Rouge is once again now on the Vikings staff. He performed very well at his pro day. So any injury concerns, you know, from him, really, the tape you have to watch goes back to 2019. 
just based on his health situation, you know, going back the last couple years. And, you know, there's some question marks there, right, Judd? But he's only 20 years old also. So when you think about upside, Eric Stingley Jr. has that upside. So if there is a chance of him falling to 12, now my sense is he doesn't. But, like, I'll give you an example, Judd, and this is where who knows what to believe because you're hearing all sorts of things, especially this week. But one of my trusted NFL sources told me he thinks Stingley Jr. is going to be on the board at pick 12. I don't think he will be. I've had multiple other people tell me, no, Stingley Jr. is not going to be on the board. But he brought it up with me yesterday saying, okay, who is taking him before the Vikings? Is Houston really taking him at three? Is Seattle? Pete Carroll hasn't gone cornerback in the first round in forever. Mm-hmm. Is he really going cornerback at pick nine? That this person truly believes that, okay, Sauce Gardner will go before 12. That's one corner off the board. But that Stingley Jr. will be there at 12. But I'm just telling you, I've heard from more people, it's more likely Stingley Jr., not on the board. I've heard from more people than not that Kyle Hamilton will be off the board, but that's another intriguing question. Is that possibility out there that the safety from Notre Dame somehow falls to 12? If so, like how would the Vikings pass on an uber talent like that? So, so many possibilities. Judd, I still remain very confident that at some point this week, the Vikings are drafting a wide receiver but it is a deep wide receiver draft in conversations with Rick Spielman, with others, maybe more so on background. Like I've been told a bunch of times, you can get a serviceable wide receiver, heck, a good wide receiver, middle rounds. You don't need to take a wide receiver in the first round. But if they happen to love Wilson from Ohio State, for example, would you pull the trigger? So just so many possibilities with zero tendencies in play. Right. Like, we can go back a few years, Judd. How easy was it to pinpoint Garrett Bradbury that draft year? That was a very easy pick to predict. Mm -hmm. Jeff Gladney was not a tough one. They absolutely needed a corner. You know, just the steam, especially like 48 hours like today before the draft. Like, there was a distinct possibility they were going to land Jeff Gladney. I wish it was the Utah kid, Jalen Johnson, who's two and a half years younger than Gladney, but that steam just wasn't there 48 hours prior. So, like, pinpointing Gladney to the Vikings was not hard. Last year, I thought it was pretty obvious the Vikings were going offensive linemen in the first round. Wasn't sure who. Ultimately, they moved backwards, so they don't take the kid from USC. They moved backwards end up with Derisaw, but as Spielman told me late last week, they had legit fear that the Raiders were going to take Derisaw. Okay, well then, who would the Vikings have taken? I think they would have taken Jenkins, the kid from Oklahoma State, that turned out to be a pretty good player for the Bears. He went about eight to ten picks later. But like, we just, we don't have those tendencies to pick up on with Quasey. So I'd love to tell you, the audience, that I know 100% who the Vikings are taking. Outside of that possibility, that 10% possibility of Derek Stingley Jr. being there at 12 and the Vikings gobbling him up, I don't have a great feel. And I think what makes this intriguing, too, is beyond what you just said, and you're exactly right, we don't know when it comes 
to Quasi what he would defer to or go to. But what makes it more intriguing is that's coupled with, with the fact that, to your point, like this is as fluid of draft as, as I can recall because it's not really that sexy. Um, there's what four quarterbacks, but two might be for first round picks. But that's a very that, that's a might be. I think that there are, but but the point is there's not a lot of definition here. We don't know what the Vikings are going to to do just from a draft strategy standpoint. And here's the third thing, Dukes. You know everything the Vikings have done so far has been a very much screamed, we are trying to win now. Like, we don't think that we're going to take a, a step back. But the draft is sort of like the ultimate test there because what the draft tests is, okay, if you're trying to win now, are you going to not draft necessarily the best player available at your draft spot, but are you going to take a guy who you like and who you think can play immediately? And so, like, that's the ultimate test. So Thursday night, assuming that they draft 12th, we are going to find out definitively, um, are you taking a pick where you think that this guy can step in and play now because that's the next step towards trying to win now? Or do you at that point in time say, you know what, this guy, in our opinion, is the best player available. He might not fill as big a need as, let's say, Stingley would, but we can't pass up the opportunity to draft, you know, um, the, the kid from S- Southern Cal, uh, a kid like that. So this to me is going to become incredibly interesting in answering the question of, are you really in this for 2022? Or is this the point where you say, you know what, for purposes of this franchise and its long-term health, we can't pass up this guy at 12. Can't you have the best of both worlds? Outside of taking Alabama wide receiver Jamison Williams, now, do I think there are Williams fans at TCL? I do. Outside of taking Malik Willis, I think he's the number one quarterback on their board. But, like, do I see Malik Willis going to the Vikings in the first round? Judd, I don't. Not with that Cousins contract now, yep. with Kirk locked in for at least two years. But if you end up taking a cornerback, and let's say Stingley Jr. is off the board. Let's say you go McDuffie from Washington. Doesn't he help you now? But he's also a key part of the 2023 roster. Patrick Peterson back, but a one-year deal. Chandon Sullivan here, but a one-year deal. Granted, he's more a nickel guy. He'll play inside, not outside. Cam Dantzler, all sorts of question marks. So can't you go, for example, cornerback, a guy that is going to see the field a good amount this year, Mm -hmm. but certainly is a big part of 2023, 2024, Kyle Hamilton. You mean to tell me you couldn't line him up next to Harrison Smith and get all sorts of creative, find different ways to use both of those guys, ways that maybe we haven't seen in previous years? But then is Harrison Smith here in 2024? I don't think so. Probably here in 2023, but not in 2024. All right. You could go wide receiver. Let's say you love Wilson from Ohio State. Well, he helps you immediately. Are we positive? I know a lot of people are just saying it's a foregone conclusion that Adam Thielen is here next year. And that's probably the bet. But, like, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibilities that Thielen's last year in purple is 2022. More than likely, yeah, sure, I get it. If you want to sell me on he'll be here in 23, then not here in 24, fine. But you could also go 
wide receiver? Are we positive Zadarius Smith is going to be here in 2023? Look at the way that contract is oh, structured. Got a bad back. What takes place with Daniil Hunter, who still wants more money? Let's not forget that. Daniil Hunter wants more money. All mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. you mean to tell me you couldn't go edge rusher now? A guy that can get snaps, maybe not a ton, but certainly situationally can be used. And then he's a big part of your 2023 roster. Same goes for an interior defensive lineman. So I do think you can get the best of both worlds outside of you're taking the kid coming off the ACL, Jamison Williams from, you know, the playoffs, you know, hurt his knee, ripped up his knee in January. So Jamison Williams isn't making an immediate impact in September, October, or if you happen to go Malik Willis. But I'm telling you, Judd, even though I'm positive there are Malik Willis fans in Egan, I just I'm hard pressed to see the Vikings pulling the trigger on Willis. Doogie, I'm just seeing this from Bet Online AG, uh, a betting service for the Vikings' first player drafted. These are the odds for the most likely pick for the Vikings in in, in, in the first round. Cornerback at five to seven. Defensive lineman at fifteen to four, offensive lineman eleven to two, and then safety seven to one, linebacker nine to one, wide receiver eleven to one. With those odds, Declan, I might go defensive lineman. Hmm. So is that are those odds based on only if the Vikings stay at twelve? It just or says if they first move backwards. It just says first, first player round? draft. First player drafted. Okay. All right. Well, I mean. Does Pittsburgh want to move up? Heck, Judd, I've heard in the last couple days, Philadelphia, not for a quarterback, but Philadelphia with draft ammo may want to move up for a certain wide receiver. Hmm. So you're looking at Philly in addition to New Orleans, who we've talked about, but certainly Pittsburgh at pick 20. Kansas City at 29 is another trade possibility. I've seen that out there. They have all this draft ammo. Right. After the Tyreek Hill trade, right. is there a certain wide receiver they could target? Would the Vikings move all the way back 17 spots? If so, you're picking up not only 29, you're picking up 50 overall, and you're picking up a good draft pick next year. I don't know if it's Kansas City's first in 23. Maybe it's their second round pick in 23. But you're definitely getting back more than two draft assets if you're moving back 17 spots. But if you move back to 29, mm-hmm. is the Georgia interior defensive lineman Wyatt in the mix there? Is Mafe, the gopher, mm-hmm. in play? Mafe did visit the Vikings, as did Wyatt. I need if I, I – I've seen that steam about the Chiefs. And if I do that, I need their 23 first-round pick. Because, well, yeah. I mean, even to move down to 20 – Yep. Like, if Pittsburgh wants up for Pickett or Willis... I want their first-round pick. I want their first-round pick next year. Yeah, yes, because... Just and, to move but, back but, eight. So if I'm moving back 17, I absolutely... I'm with you. You need their 23 first-round yes. pick. And, and Dukes, to be clear, I love that, but that would be, to me, the first nod of, yes, we want to win in 22, but th- this is about our future. Because one thing, if I'm crazy, one thing that I am doing for sure in this draft in potential trades as well, is positioning myself to take a quarterback next April, which I believe is one of the most important things. Like, that's the thing, you know, Kirk, short term, might be great. KOC might turn him into a Tarkington. I don't know. But the reality is, I really believe that Quasi and K 
Kevin O'Connell were hired largely to solve the problem that this team has not solved in years, which is you need to find a long-term solution at quarterback, preferably with with the guy on a five-year rookie-scale contract. So now it's successful and it's cheaper. And so that, to me, though, is the one nod to the future that I personally would like to see because there is still a huge question of, okay, Kirk's here for two more years, but what's the plan starting in 2024 at quarterback? Absolutely. And we know, well, we do. I think a large portion of the audience knows as well that next year's quarterback class is really, really good. There are multiple quarterbacks who will be in next year's draft that would easily be the number one quarterback in this year's draft. So if you have two first-round picks next year, then, heck, if you wanted to dangle your 2024 first-round pick, if you had all this ammo, you certainly would be in a pretty good position to move up this Mm -hmm. time next year to secure said quarterback. Let's also not forget, Judd, they did kick the tires on Deshaun Watson to some extent. And we saw that Quasi's guy, Andrew Barry, ultimately completed a trade for Deshaun Watson. They aren't idiots. I get it that it certainly looks like they're running this thing back, that they feel like with some tweaks, with some new philosophies, that they can be a double-digit win team, make a run in January. But, and maybe this is more conjecture, but I'm pretty sure Quasi is also realizing, okay, this core missed the playoffs the last two years. This core hasn't been over 500 in 800 and something days. They've missed the playoffs three of the last four years. It wasn't all Mike Zimmer. So that's where it would make sense if you can get a 23 first-round pick, move back, really, just move back. Now, the one comeback to that, for people to chew on, is I'm not positive the Vikings have first-round grades on more than 16 to 18 players in this year's draft. So are you guaranteed to get a first-round talent on your board if you Mm -hmm. move back to 20? Mm -hmm. That could be a slippery slope. If you move back to 29, probably not. But you might be okay. Hey, if they have Mafe as a second-round grade, but a pretty good grade overall, you know, maybe you're okay if you get that 23 first-round pick that you're okay saying, you know what, okay, we didn't get one of those 16, 18 guys with a first-round grade this year, but this guy's got a high second-round grade. We'll take him, and we get this first-round pick next year. So these are all scenarios. I'm telling you, Judd, these are all scenarios they are kicking around in Egan. Interesting. So Quasi did his uh, pre-draft presser today. I got a question for you off off of that uh so your, your colleague uh joe schmidt asked quasi a couple questions about his philosophies and quasi actually sort of bristled about saying this is inclusive it's not me it's we blah 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 which is fine that's fine but here's my question for you from what you're being told i'm curious about this how much differently are you hearing that this draft is going to be run because you know rick certainly had people he consulted with but at the end of the day, Rick saw himself as a draft guy. And, and I think that Rick had no problem probably putting his foot down and saying, okay, thanks for the input. Here's what I'm doing. Um, because, and I asked the question, and I'll sort of defend Joe here for, for his questions. There, 
there comes a point in time in this process where somebody does need to take control. Like, like it can't always be collaboration. Collaboration is great, but you know, you're on the clock. Now a decision has to be made. What's your understanding from behind the scenes about how Quasi works? Well, okay, let's compare it to Rick, who went to, on average, two college games per weekend last season. Rick, on average, went to three to five to six pro days. He was always a fixture in Ann Arbor, in Columbus. But, heck, I remember him a few years ago being at BYU's pro day. So he made the rounds. As far as I can tell, Judd, I don't know that Quasi even attended one pro day. It was not even at the Gophers Pro Day. Now, that was right in the heart of free agency on March 16th. But he didn't even make the 20-minute drive over to campus, right? So I think there's a lot of deferring to Jamal Stevenson, to others in the college scouting department, that there is probably a bit more collaboration in that regard compared to previous years, if you want to use that popular buzzword. But you're right. I mean, he's going to have to make a decision. You have to. You're the guy. Ultimately, it's your choice. I do also sense Quasi's been on the phone more, maybe more so text messaging. But Mm -hmm. in terms of trade dialogue, Mm. than Rick ever was. That was something he handled in Cleveland. So that is something he's familiar with. So when comparing and contrasting Spielman to Quasi, how each runs, a war room, I sense that Quasi's a little bit more active in terms of trade chatter. But I think this year, like, because I just, I don't sense that Quasi got out a whole lot last fall. Sure, he's watched tape, but I think there is going to be a bit more deferring to Stevenson and others this draft compared to previous drafts. How involved do you think O'Connell is going to be as well? Because I I think Zim was involved a lot. Um, and it certainly seemed like there were quite a few picks, high picks included, where Zim had had Spielman's ear. When it comes to O'Connell, I would guess that he's go- going to be very tempted by offensive talent. Do you see him having a major say during the course of the draft on who the Vikings pick? Certainly a say. I don't know how to define major. I mean, a sure. say for sure, right? And he certainly has watched film. He has provided his opinion on guys. Heck, he's provided more opinion now than he ever did in L.A., right? The Rams just don't have draft picks, right? Right. Well, McVay, I'm sure, has things. And sure, as the head coach, a little bit more than, you know, O.C. But, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, I, I don't know how to define major per se, but certainly an input. And that goes back to something we've, first brought up a few weeks ago that free agency in large part has been about the defense. Yes, they added a couple guard possibilities. In -hmm. fact, I think they landed their starting right guard, the kid from Minnesota State, Mankato Reed, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not like they, and they brought in a tight end that Kevin knows well from the Rams, right? So it's not like they completely ignored offense in free agency, but Free agency was a large amount to do with fixing the defense. So at some point, this offensive-minded head coach is going to be aided, right, heading into training camp. And 
this is really the last big chance to aid this offensive-minded head coach. Sure, there's some intriguing free agents still out there, but for the most part, you know, the real good guys, they're off the board. Yeah. So this is the time. So, like, I'll tell you one thing, Judd. You know, those first three picks, 12, 46, 77, mm-hmm. you know, maybe I'll be proven wrong, but I will be very surprised if they go defense, defense, defense. I'm just telling you that right now. I oh, will I'd be, be shocked. Yeah. I agree completely. Yeah, but, I'd like, I looked at I looked at Matt Miller's mock yeah. draft today on ESPN.com, and he's incredibly plugged in. He's got – I forget who he's got at 12. I think McDuffie maybe at 12. He had a linebacker from Montana State at 77, and he had a safety, the Georgia safety at 46. Mm-hmm. So he had them going defense, defense, defense. I'm just telling you, Judd, and there's a million mock drafts out there. I get it, but I respect his opinion, and he put that out on ESPN.com, ESPN Insider this morning. I'm just yep. telling you, Judd, I would be surprised. I really would if they go defense, defense, defense. The one thing I would expect, just total ballpark guess here for me, the one thing I would expect from this group that we didn't see necessarily from the Spielman crew is is this. I think that there will be a thought process when their picks come up of taking the best player available, but I think that that is going to also be based on positional value. My point being is I don't think that these guys are going to take a safety on the first two days. I could see them certainly on day, day three, but unless they think that this is a – Pro Bowl safety, because you can find that spot. Like, I, I mean, Dukes, go through the positions right now that are premium positions. At, well, at it's not you, safety. I agree. Right. Corner, I think there is right. an emphasis on premium positions. Exactly. You just and don't so, take a safety in the first round. Correct. The one catch there is this Kyle Hamilton player yep. is such a hybrid yep. that I don't know if you view him strictly as a safety you know, like, think about the Simmons kid coming out of Clemson a couple of years ago who's now in Arizona. Like, you can use him in different ways, but sure, like, kind of viewed as a safety, maybe more so actually a linebacker, but was kind of viewed as a safety pre-draft. I think Hamilton you can use in so many different ways Sure, that he's the one. So I do wonder if he's sitting there at 12, but, you know, more people than not are telling me, no, he's not going to be there at 12. Maybe he goes 11 to Washington, but... He's not going to be there on the board at 12. So if he's not there, agree. Eventually take safety, but maybe more so Saturday. They had the Illinois safety in for a visit. They had the Louisiana safety in for a visit. That you go safety later in the draft. That you're right. Premium positions, like you just, you don't really take a safety in the first round. You go pass rusher. You go cornerback. Sure, you go wide receiver. You know, like you don't even go you know, interior offensive line, right? As much as, you know, some of us might like the Iowa center, and we know it's been obvious for many, many, many weeks, the Vikings are not picking up that fifth-year option on Garrett Bradbury's contract. The deadline is next week, so the Vikings need to figure out center at some point. We love, or at least I do, but I think you do too, the Iowa center, like there's a lot to like about him, but that you just you don't go interior offensive lineman in the first round. Boston College guard. Like you just you wouldn't go him. Now, maybe you've got a little bit more leash if you move back to let's say 29, that that's a little different yes. late late first round, but certainly at 12, I think you go premium position. You're right. You know, just with Quasi's analytical background, 
Yeah. I mean, I, I think all signs point to a premium position, not one like interior offensive line or safety. Your gut right now, 12th pick, what do they do? I think they move back. I do. That, hey, and maybe it's somebody else moving up for Pickett or Willis. Somebody jumps above the Vikings at 12. But there's still a part of me that says I had to write that down going back weeks that I think both quarterbacks will be on the board at 12. So yep. That's a sweet spot. You know, and, you know, at least one, if not multiple, good receivers will be on the board right there. You know, whether that's Jamison Williams, Drake London, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, that, you know, Philly could move up. I still think there's that possibility of Kansas City that there's enough intrigue with teams looking to move up. So many teams with multiple first-round picks that I'd like to think we'll see a good amount of activity on Thursday night. I mean, we always see some activity, but I'd like to think maybe a little bit more than normal. Like, I don't know, put the over-under at four-and-a-half trades on Thursday night. Like, I hope we take the over on a number like that. That, yeah, you're asking me right now. And I'm telling you, Judd, I have more uncertainty this year than in previous years. It's not even close. But you're asking me the question, I'll say they end up moving back. But, like, does a team try to rip off Quasey first time in that big boy chair? And they just won't budge, thinking Quasey will eventually budge. And it doesn't get to that point. And in the end, the Vikings just can't find a willing trade partner and stay at 12. Like, so I do wonder about a scenario like that. But you're asking me for for an answer. I suppose I'll say it's a guess, maybe somewhat educated guess, but that they find a trade partner, end up moving back. Interesting stuff. All right, more scoops, sir. But before we, we wrap up, what else are you hearing? Well, what where would you on? like to go? Alex Kirilov begins his rehab assignment in St. Paul tonight. He's got that wrist injury, had the surgery last year, got the cortisone shot. I don't know, Judd. I need to see him swing. I need to see him swing for many days in a row to believe that he's fully healed. Like okay. that wrist has been bugging him for so long, but that's something to keep an eye on today, tomorrow. Alex Kirilov in St. Paul. If all goes well, he may even be on that airplane to Tampa for the weekend series. But if I'm the Twins, I may want to see Kirilov in St. Paul for a while here. Like the Saints are about to start a 12-game homestand. You might want to leave him in St. Paul for a little while just to see over the course of many, many days. I'm reminded again, Judd, how the Twins have – now, if you want to say Ronald Acuna Jr., fine in Atlanta, but the most team-friendly contract in Major League Baseball, the Byron Buxton contract, seven years, $100 million. Like, I looked back at it, Judd. He could win MVP, and he's still not quite making George Springer money. Like, and it's a huge bonus if he wins MVP. And he could finish third or fourth in MVP voting. A ridiculous year. But the money goes down incentive-wise significantly that if he finishes third in MVP voting, he really doesn't touch the George Springer money. And, hey, if the comeback wants to be George Springer, that's an outlier contract fine. But I'm telling you, like Byron should have been a free agent in November. You know, the twins a few years ago manipulated the service time. He should have been a free agent in November. Now, nobody forced him to sign the contract on December 1st or November 30th that he signed that he could have waited. He could have played out this year, then elected unrestricted free agency in November. So, I mean, he's the one who signed it, you know, but I'm just, I'm reminded because he's so brilliant. Hopefully he can play 140 games, but 
Like that is the most team friendly contract in all the game. The Twins also have a pretty team friendly contract in Jorge Polanco. Like that's a nice contract for the Twins, but there isn't a more team friendly contract in all the game. Unless you want to argue Ronald Acuna Jr., but he's coming off a serious injury. I need to right. see him recover before I say it's Acuna Jr. So for me right now, the most team-friendly contract in Major League Baseball is Byron Buxton's. Then we wonder about the Wolves tonight, Judd. Can they find a way to win tonight like they won game one in Memphis? Then have a chance to wrap up the series on Friday night. Does this series go seven games? Does Memphis win at home tonight? Do the Wolves win at home on Friday? Then we get a winner-take-all game seven sometime on Sunday in Memphis. Don't know if it would be an afternoon game or an evening game. Heck, Judd, we don't even know what time. Friday's game will be, although it does look like Wolves-Grizzlies on Friday will be a standalone game. So I would imagine it's a 7 o'clock start, but could it be an 8 o'clock start or a 6.30 start, I suppose. But if it's the only game, the only NBA playoff game on Friday night, I would hope it's a normal start time, not like 9 o'clock on Saturday night. And the Wolves go as Cat goes. Cat was great in game one, they win. Cat was great in game four, they win. He was horrendous in game two. They lose. He was horrendous in game three. They lose. We also wonder, is there like this 35-point game coming from Ja Morant? Got to the free throw line a ton in game one, scored a good amount of points in game one. But really, for three consecutive games, superstar Ja Morant hasn't been on display. Some of that foul trouble. He has involved his teammates greatly. The assist numbers are through the roof. But we view Ja Morant, I think a lot of people did pre-series as the best player in this series. That the Wolves had the second and third best players, Cat, Edwards, but that Memphis had the best player in this series. John Moran has not played like the best player in this series, but there is a thought, does he explode as soon as tonight? One other note, go for basketball. Mike Jones, Woodbury kid, Davidson transfer. The Gophers have not been in contact with him for three weeks. So we still wonder, Ben Johnson has some scholarships to play with, who will be the Gophers starting two guard? Well, if you think it's going to be Mike Jones, a lot has to change. Yeah, Dave Thorson reached out right when Jones hit the portal, but there has been nothing for three weeks. Josiah Strong, Champlain Park High School, just left Illinois State. He could slide in. He could be their starting two guard. He visited Nevada over the weekend, did visit the Gophers, eight days ago, two Mondays ago. So I do wonder if that's the guy. If Josiah Strong ends up as their two guard, they have their starting point guard, the Moorhead State transfer to Lon Cooper. You could have Josiah Strong as your two guard. Then your starting front court could be Jamison Battle, Parker Fox, Dawson Garcia. That's not a bad team. Not bad. Okay, sir. Sounds good. And we will talk to you on Thursday for more scoopage. Okay, sounds good, Jed. Take it easy, Declan. Bye-bye. What happens when we die? Join me, Brian Tome, an adventurer, pastor, and host of the Aggressive Life podcast in conversation with my friend and near-death experience researcher. Together, we're going to sift through the mountain of evidence to find answers to your biggest questions about what comes next. Find the special two-part episode, What Happens When We Die, wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search The Aggressive Life with Brian Tome. I'll see you there. This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. Get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. And take your workout to the next level with accessories like non-slip grip dumbbells, a heart rate monitor, cycling shoes, and more. 
Peloton, motivation that moves you. This limited time offer ends December 25th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.